Yeah. Jamal. What's up? Can you hear me clearly? Yeah. Epic. Epic. Awesome. Yeah. Um, first of all, how's your back? Uh, it's doing much better. Yeah, I just surfed. I I I got into the chiropractor and yeah, she fixed me up. It's like a thing that happens, you know, like twice a year where I'll just like my rib will slip out and get a bad spasm and then but if I get like treated quickly, it's all good. And surfing actually is pretty it's just like lift I was trying to be too to like much do everything myself, move too much furniture. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's good. We just got, just got good waves this morning. It's like first big swell of the season. So I'm psyched. Well, you're in California right now. Right now I'm in California. Yeah. Yeah. We're, um, yeah, I'm in the house. We, we kept a house here that we're renting out. Um, and, uh, just like clearing it out for a new renter. But yeah, so stoked to get away. Um, and yeah, yeah, the ball. I saw that little like, picture you posted on Instagram that that looked like a sick spot. Yeah, that was down in Montara. Um, that was like, uh, yeah, that's a cool, just like twenty minutes south of San Francisco, almost a Half Moon Bay, little like, um, yeah, more clear water and stuff down there. But I'm just psyched to like get in the water. Although I was like, <laughs> this funny to leave like right as it starts cranking on the east coast but um but we've been getting good waves here it's it's fine i'm happy just staying wet incredible well um should we get started yeah yeah Excellent. sounds good um, um hello welcome to speaking from water i am your host sean rutke this is the only podcast that delivers water legends to you so you can become inspired uh, in the water and um, today we have a major legend himself, Jamal Yogis. And Jamal is um, an incredible surfer. He is a world traveler, uh, a best-selling author. Um, some of his major books, uh, Saltwater Buddha, The Fear Project, All of Our Waves Are Water, which I just finished and absolutely incredible. Uh, I wanna get a lot into that and um, uh, a slew of children's books, um, Mop Rides Waves of Change, Mop Rides Waves of Life, uh, City of Dragons uh, series, and a new book, The Adventures of Drip and Drop. Jamal, welcome. It is an honor to have you. Thank you for taking the time and joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Sean. It's um, stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, like I was saying, you, the life that you've lived is uh, incredible. You've traveled the world. I want to get into your travels and in, into your history. Um, something that really resonated, though, I want to jump right into the deep end with you, is this concept of dream yoga. And, a, and really what struck me so much about the dream yoga is that, like, personally, when I'm dreaming, and I'm lucky enough to, to enter a scene of, of beach in my dream. Personally, I can never um, surf in my dream. I don't know what it is. Maybe one or two times in my life, I'm actually like riding a wave. And those times I, I vividly remember being epic. But this concept of dream yoga, can you tell us what it is, uh, how, how to achieve this state and uh, a little bit about that? Cool. I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you, you like that part. I, um, yeah, it's kind of a little known 
um, aspect of both um, uh, Tibetan Buddhism and Taoism um, practice uh, dream yoga. And it's basically the art of being conscious in your dream. So there's an idea that, um, that uh, you know, we're met it's one thing to be able to meditate and stay aware and mindful throughout your day, but you know, there's eight hours when you're sleeping. And if you can bring awareness into that space of sleep, that you can um, actually sort of supercharge your practice and your awareness. And there's even in Tibet, like the Tibetans believe that, you know, your consciousness travels throughout many lives. And in dream, you sort of, there's a, there's a corollary where you don't have a body, but you sort of, your mind creates this whole universe, you know, and some dreams are amazing, right? You feel like you have a body, you could be surfing and feel like you're surfing, you could be eating and tasting food. And that all is coming from the power of your own consciousness. And, and, and you feel like, a, like you have a body. So the Tibetans actually say, this is what it's like in the in-between states, between lives. And that if you can practice awareness in your dream, that it helps you navigate the time, the, the period between lives. Now that's way beyond sort of my experience or being a, but I, uh, I got into this because as a kid, I, I had these dreams naturally where I would just know I was dreaming in a dream and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go fly. I'm going to go, or it would happen to me in nightmares. I'd be like running from the monster. And then I'd be like, oh, wait, I'm dreaming. And I could like transform the dream. And so when I heard this was like a thing that, um, that uh, Tibetan yogis do, I wanted to learn it. And there's basically, I mean, it's an advanced practice. People say, you know, it's not like something where you go into to a meditation class and they're going to start with dream yoga. But for some people, they have sort of, they naturally remember a lot of dreams and it can be like a pretty cool space. And the, the idea is if you can then like do your yoga practice in your dream, like a lot of the more subtle energies that pe the yogis are trying to feel like chakras opening up and stuff are more accessible to you. And um, because you're not like you're relaxed in your sleep and you're not like as blocked up. And I have gotten had some dreams where I like remembered like, oh, I should do my meditation. And it's true. It is an, it is a, a an interesting feeling. Usually I'm more like when I realize I'm dreaming, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do something fun. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's a really cool practice though. I recommend um, there's some, the Tibetan yogas of dream and sleep um, is a cool, uh, a really cool book if you're interested in. And there's a Stanford neuroscientist, Stephen LaBerge, who also studied it and written about it extensively from the scientific view. So um, yeah, I, uh, I have, um, it's funny, my surf dreams, I'm often uh, like trying to get to the surf and I can't for some reason, like I'm, oh, it's like epic and my buddy's running out and I'm like, oh, my board's dinged up now or it's like something. So I feel like that's like my going to school naked dream or something, <laughs> like almost getting to the waves, but can't, I think that one's happened more since being a dad, uh, yeah. <laughs> I can completely relate, and I'm sure lots of people listening can also relate to, to that experience. Uh, you're you're a father of three. You you um you've been, you you've again are a super successful author, uh, but prior to this um this uh, 
fame, I, I will call it, you you were um, a, a globe uh, trotting traveler and you traveled the world. And b- before you even did that, you um, uh, I'm kind of giving your bio here, but your, your parents um, were uh, your dad was in the military, as I understand. And and you kind of were rebellious. Uh, can you can you kind of I know a lot of kids can kind of relate to that that stage in life. Can you kind of um, tell us how that formed you into the the person that that left to um, to go off on on your uh, on your journey? Yeah. So um, my dad was in the Air Force. We were um, stationed in uh, the Azores, Portugal, um, when I was like three to six basically and um so we lived on the beach and my dad had been a surfer like you know not hardcore but he liked he was stationed in hawaii in the navy and stuff he grew up on the east uh, in uh, new york surfing and so he always he had kind of passed his surfing by the time he was a dad but he had he loved to body surf so we did a lot of that in the azores and i i just i loved it there on the island and then we got stationed in sacramento and whatever grew up in Sacramento suburbs, you know, typical kind of anywhere America place. Um, and I, I, uh, I grew up skating and snowboarding some because we were fairly close to the Sierras. Um, but I always wanted to surf and I got started getting, you know, it's like my crew of friends were getting into lots of like teenage, typical teenage trouble. Like I'd gotten a DUI, got suspended from school. Was it wasn't a bad kid. I wasn't like failing out of school or anything, but I was seemed to be the one to get caught a lot. <laughs> and um, and uh, anyway, I felt like my life was caving in because I was like I was on probation at one point. I was like, so I. I thought I just need to change things. I started actually going back to dreams. I started having these dreams of uh, waves and islands and like they kept, it kept coming back. And I was, I long story short, bought a one-way ticket to Maui junior year of high school, left a note on my pillow. It was like, I'm, I didn't tell my parents where I was going. I just said, I'm somewhere in the world and went to Maui um, to learn to surf. You know, I had like a few hundred bucks. Um, it was really tough <laughs> to figure it out. You know, I was, and, and and saltwater buddha my first book is like this is sort of the kickoff is like landing in maui and being like oh crap i don't know i don't know what am i what am i going to eat you know how am i going to um survive and also get learn to surf and um you know so that that journey i only lasted a few weeks in maui before my dad came over and like brought me back but um, it it kicked off a journey of like then chasing waves for you know the next you know 20 plus years and uh and um and also learning meditation though because it was so difficult uh being in in Maui and it was jarring arriving as a teenager and suddenly being like oh man I'm on my own um I knew I needed something and my parents had introduced me to some meditation um as a kid but I didn't want to do it. I was like, oh, that's their thing. But when I was suddenly like jarred into this tough environment, I, I, I thought I need something. So I started trying. And um, I think because I was getting beat up by the North Shore of Maui and I was getting beat up by my own mind, like I instantly made this connection like between learning to surf and learning to meditate. And so 
I, I got into both deeply, um, both like I later lived in a Buddhist monastery and I also, you know, was surfing a lot. And so I think the, the nature of, of my books, though I never planned to like make that a life, a, a thing that I wrote about, um, later I became a journalist and, and sort of when I, when I, I, I realized that these two had really surfing and meditation had really been the anchors that like kept me sane and happy. Um, and, and, and they, um, and surfing was, was a metaphor, you know, for the waves of, of the mind. So that's sort of where a lot of those, um, books, you know, grew, how those books came to be. And when was it that you, um, you you said to yourself, "Oh, I now understand meditation. I I know how to get to that place." Because um, so many people say, "Oh, it's so boring." And, uh, you know, I've tried it before. I've tried to talk to my friends about starting it up, and a surfer friend of mine was like, "Man, we already do that. We go surfing and looking at the horizon is a meditation." So, can you kind of um, enlighten us as to how um, surfing is relatable to meditation, and maybe how uh, the meditation is accessible? Um, outside of surfing and how yeah, you, yeah yeah i mean you, absolutely your buddy your friend is right i i think it's really true you know when you're waiting for waves and um and when you're riding them you know meditation a lot of people think it has to be still and you have to be like in like you know lotus posture and stuff but really meditation is we're always meditating it's meditating is just the act of reflecting on something and when you meditate do still meditation you're you're using your breath as an anchor to for your mind to focus um because so often we're lost in stories and thoughts and those stories and thoughts can be positive um or they can be a lot of worries and negativity or like you know what if what if what if and that cause us unnecessary suffering so the idea of being able to use your breath as an anchor to really slow your thoughts down so you almost get like the space between like a glassy long period swell where you can actually see like oh i'm watching my thoughts go by now and that's really like the the there's no nothing magical about just being still and sitting there if it's not your thing you don't have to do it um but the idea is, can you be aware of what's going on in your mind? Because, um, you know, like Bruce Lee said, you know, watch your thoughts, they become actions, watch your actions, they become, you know, your reality. That wasn't not a direct quote, but something like that. And so when you're out there, yeah, there's a lot of time looking at the horizon where you can breathe and it's like you're part of nature and you feel um, kind of... Uh, you're you're in that zone and um and also you're you're in a flow state of you know when you're surfing a lot especially when the waves are good and you're able to surf it's like you get in, into a very present state and that is what you're you're actually going for in in meditation too it's just like the ancient yogis they were wandering around india and like looking for ways to um to end suffering to be happy and they found these postures and things that are that they developed into 
a, a science of the mind to be like, here's some ways to be more content, to live more present. And surfing, I think is just one of those, like it wasn't happening in India, you know, 2,500 years ago. But I think if it was like one of those gurus would have been like, and there's also this, you know, this great method of surfing, which gets you into a present state. And, and obviously just like, um, just like meditation can become like an ego trip and you get these yogis who are like, you know, whatever, become uh, crazy, crazy guys who abuse their power. It's like, you can do the same thing with surfing, right? Like surfing is this wonderful thing that makes us feel good. It makes us feel happy, but you can be like an aggro jerk and, and super tense when you're out there waiting for waves, and frustrated and fighting and, and all those things. So it's really, it's like what you bring to different activities. I think like if you, if your goal is, is like, I'm going to, I'm going to surf to become like a happier, more aware, more healthy person. Um, and also like push myself, push, push myself to be more, um, to my potential physically and stuff. Like, I think, you know, that can become your meditation a hundred percent. And I think, um, that's true of anything. Now, there are some things I think about um, going into like a long still retreat and some places that you can get sort of where your your mind is in a different state. Um, if you're interested in that, then you can get I, I <laughs> that you can't I haven't been able to access surfing, you know, because surfing is way more active. Um but there's some things, there's states of mind that I can access surfing that I can't in, in still meditation. So it's just a different activity, but I think they're both very um, like roads to, to a similar uh, um, kind of to, to learning different types of awareness, I guess you could say. You're a, um, a swimmer, right? You, you swim laps. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a swimmer. Um, like I do it when I, I can't surf. <laughs> like I'm not one of those people who's like, I'm looking to go swim, you know, but like I do it to stay in shape. And when I do it, I enjoy it. Yeah. And is that, is that a place where one can find a, a type of meditation themselves? So when you go swimming, um, for your exercise, uh, is that say a, um, maybe a, a more mindful activity than, uh, in a, an elliptical machine, for instance. Yeah, I mean, I, I for me it is because I think you're um, a the I mean, my buddy Jay, who you met, I think at, at UNC Wilmington, Wallace J Nichols talks about the science of of blue mind of being around water. It instantly lowers like our blood pressure. We get into um, and when you're swimming, you're also rhythmic breathing, so you have this awareness of your breathing. Um, you have kind of sense deprivation too. Like when you're at the gym and you're like, there's like three TVs on and like, you know, you got your Walkman and like, it's a lot of distractions and those distractions can be helpful when you're like, oh, this is really painful. And like, I don't want to focus on the pains. So I'm going to focus on something else. And that's fine. It can be a good stress release, a good way to sweat it out. But I think, yeah, for me, swimming is more like, akin to um moving meditation because yeah you're like rhythmic breathing you don't have any distractions you're just looking at this kind of blank wall similar to like zazen practice 
And um, yeah, it, it can be very meditative swimming. I think what is the Zazen you speak of? Can you um, elaborate on that? A Zazen is like this act of sitting in Zen. Um, so, so they call it like Zen is, Zen actually means meditation in Japanese. Dhyana is the translation of Dhyana, Sanskrit word Dhyana, which means basically means to, to focus. Um, and uh, um, but it's it's not a single pointed focus. It's sort of a, an expansive focus. And and in zazen, you would often in Japan, you'd sit and stare at a white wall, like eyes, you know, a little bit maybe um, half open. But the idea of the sort of blank canvas would be is sort of similar to like staring at the bottom of a pool. I often think of that. So, so I want to bring it to to your book. Um excuse me, uh, uh, all the waves are water. And in that book, a, a piece that really stuck out to me was this uh, concept of um, uh, Dhaka. Do I, did I pronounce that right? Duka. Duka. Yes, Duka. And um, can you kind of break that down for us real quick? And then um, my follow-up to, to, to that and why it kind of resonated was um, in, the, in these times of social media, uh, we, we see all of our friends, you know, getting barreled, shredding all over the place. Maybe, maybe we can't get there. Maybe sometimes we're the ones posting about, about this and we're super hyped and stoked. We wake up the next day and, and we're not super hyped and stoked anymore because that wave is gone. Uh, kind of um, relate how we, can, how we can be in this time um, of, of, uh, of FOMO and, and seeing what's happening around us um, in this concept of uh, Dhaka. Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So dukkha um, is a is a a, a a Sanskrit word or a, a Pali word um, in Buddhism that is really like it, it's it means um, sort of the dissatisfactoriness that we find in like just the human realm, um, which is that our minds are always wanting a little something different. So you know, even when things are like really groovy, you know, it's like you got whatever, the waves are great. And, you know, you still got to get out and go to work or like, and you're like, oh, I wish I could stay a little longer or like, it looks perfect, but you know, you didn't get the barrel that your buddy got or like, <laughs> you know, the mind's always kind of like, ah, oh, this is not quite right. And then there's also just like the actual suffering of being alive where you're, um, you know, old age sickness and death like even if you're a movie star you know you gotta get old and and you have aches and pains and all those things so it's like duco is sort of this all-encompassing word for like you know life's tough and but the the mind the way that our minds work makes it even tougher because we're all we're all we're never happy just as with things as they are we're, we're not good at accepting like the the present as is and the buddha's point was like if you can kind of radically accept that like this right now is what it is <laughs> you know and like stop craving for it to be different there's a, a serenity and like a freedom and a joy that kind of comes now. Um, so the in this era, I think social media supercharges um, all of that craving stuff because it, it triggers. It's like 
we're, we're very rarely like, oh, I'm just here by my, even when we have alone time, we're not alone because we're on our phones and we're like, what's everybody doing? And so there's very little time where you're just like, oh, checking in with yourself, letting yourself breathe, enjoying a sunset, enjoying, you know, it's like, you're always like, oh, the waves are perfect. Who am I going to text? And like, you know, and some aspects of that, I think are really fun. Like it can be great to be like, I just got this you know, amazing wave and I want to share it and you get a lot of joy from that. Um, but it can also like make us really restless. And it's, I don't think it's so different than pre-social media and that humans are in this state where we want things to be a little bit different and we're just sort of, and yes, that desire to be a little bit different is also our, our ambition and like, well, you want to work harder to like make things better and make your home perfect and all of that. But I think the the point is there's always like to watch like so many people get those things, get everything they want, and they're still kind of unhappy or restless. And so Buddhist meditation and so many other, you know, philosophies and, uh, um, and yogas are about this are really about like, hey, just watch that, watch that underlying um, drive to not accept things as they are and not even really be willing to feel things as they are because oftentimes we're like i think our world of distraction is is sort of built in order for us not to not to feel you know because we're afraid of like some sometimes the traumatic feelings that might arise if we let our minds be quiet for a minute um because sometimes, you know, a lot of us have had rough stuff that we don't want to deal with. And like, so the, um, so I think that we're, we're, we're in the age of distraction of like hype Uber distraction. And I think with surf, I mean, I am fully a, like one of these people who's also experiencing FOMO and like has lots of worries and stuff. So even though I've been doing all this stuff for years, I'm, I'm right there with everybody else. You know, we live inland right now, which I'm always like checking the swells and bitter about, you know, the fact when I have to miss him. Um, but I think like all these techniques of like stepping back and, and, and watching my thoughts and realizing that I'm sort of like, making things worse um are helpful to at least take the edge off a little bit so i don't not like you know drowning myself in liquor or something to like <laughs> heal the pain in in your many travels um one of one of the places you went to uh were the the himalayas i believe uh, yeah and uh your um your book um, you go into, uh, you find a guru, um, and he, every day he's just, even when things are bad, he's saying, oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. And for a while you're like, is he really happy? But you find that he's genuinely happy. Um, how is it that, um, that we can kind of take that mindset into our, into our own lives? And, and what is it aside from just saying we are when we really aren't that we can, um, authentically feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think it takes, um, you know, there's this, there is this idea um, floating around that like happiness is a choice and you can just sort of positive your way through um, 
all you know when you're feeling down and i i think there's something to that where it can be helpful where you can sort of catch yourself just like focusing on the negative or being too down and being like no man just like switch it off let me i'm gonna be positive i'm gonna like fake it till i make it kind of thing i think but i think that's a little bit um it has sort of limited returns in in a for the long term because i think there are i think sonam was genuinely happy in the face of you know um yearning for his family who he lost in tibet and so many actual um big emotions um because he had done a lot of work uh on his own mind and heart and and in the the these tibetan monks i mean this is their my one of my my professors used to call them they're great vacationers like they don't they don't get caught in the rat race to work and make money and they just do the work to to get to know their own minds and hearts and um and really find like a lifestyle that's more free and i think that he had done you know spent the better part of his life doing that work and he had um found a, a kind of more expansive freedom where yes there were these big waves of emotions coming through but he was able to feel them and not sort of run away from them like i i liken it to you know if you if your mind is the whole ocean because you've expanded it even like the big storms you know aren't gonna rattle you too much you're like that's just coming through but if you're sort of this really shut down kind of um where you're taking everything really personal that um and and you're you have a very hardened like ego where you're attached to sort of like this is mine and 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 that's a sort of a smaller pond i think for a mind and so those those big bigger waves either get um i think are more rattling and um so that that's um you know I, I, that's that's my guess it, it's like sonam was a unique and unique being sometimes you run into people and he was uh on a rare occasion who just they've sort of they've found a way of being you know that is is uh contagious and you feel happy being around them you know and you just sort of try to learn from those people what you can but at the end of the day i'm just you know i'm theorizing i just enjoyed being with him would you say that the core of that accessible feeling is the thought that uh we are perishable we are going to die uh, maybe at least i'm not dead right now um is that where this this lies i i think to my own life that joy, accepting impermanence i think um there is an aspect of that of like, hey, of 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 letting go of 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 attachment. Um, I think that um, you know, for for uh, for me as a as a just my own experience, I think you know, happiness comes from from stepping into. Uh, freedom and really following like our uh 
the things that bring us joy, you know, and making space for those because I think we're, we, you know, it's one thing, the tough thing about Buddhism is like there's Buddhist monks like Sonam who their lifestyle is so different from the, the workaday lifestyle that you and me live. So I think when you meet someone like that, who's like their consciousness is sort of in a different place, um, I think you can learn from them, but it's also almost like they're, they're, they've structured their life so differently that it's almost hard to compare, like, what should I be doing to be, to get, attain that same happiness? And it's like, well, um, maybe I don't have time to go meditate on a mountain for 20 years and like get like these incredible bliss, like samadhi states right now. But like the, I can sort of, you know, commit to doing those things that make my life a little more expansive and free. And surfing for me is like, that's the ultimate thing that if I like, if I, um, if I make time to get in the water every day and, um, you know, my life is, 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 is happier, you know, is more free. And then if on top of that, I can like, um, you know, um, create, uh, create more, more time for, um, you know, to be healthy and like sleep well, and all those things live a balanced life. And, and also be aware that I'm not like, always racing for more, like I'm except I'm trying to enjoy, be grateful for the things that I have. I think that's sort of like the way that like those little adjustments for us, like, who aren't like going to go be hermits on the mountain right now are the, are the ways to happiness. You know, it's like more flow. We're, we're happy when we're in our, our, our own flow, you know. Can you speak a little bit about authenticity and uh, how taking the path of authenticity in your life um, kind of brought you to where you are, are today? Uh, and uh, could you give us a little story um, on uh, a crossroads at this point? um, place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, I think, um, I think one of our, I think one of our actually things that makes us unhappy is, is putting up a mask, you know, and feeling like we should be fitting in to, um, like the, a, a role that, that is expected for us. Um, and um and fear that we won't be accepted if we sort of are vulnerable and and reveal like what we really think or what we really believe or what we really feel and um a metaphor for me with this was like when i was you know i'd run away from home (laughs) to surf and then i'd like wandered around went to the university of hawaii um you know, lived in a Buddhist monastery. And then at some point, I mean, I remember I was dating this girl who um, was much more responsible than me. And I was like, God, if I, if, if, if I'm going to really make this work, like I got to get like a real job and you know, I got to be able to like impress her parents and stuff. So I remember feeling like I really needed to go out and and do that. And I went to, um, and it wasn't the only reason that I went to like Columbia journalism school and stuff. And, but I felt like I needed to like go get a job and like do the world. And, um, 
and doing that for a while, you know, I got a good magazine writing job. I was doing really well. Um, and then um, I, I remember like at some point I, I decided I was going to write an article about how surfing is a meditation for me. And it felt very like risky to do because I was here. I was trying to be like a, a very, you know, buttoned up kind of political journalist. And, um, and of course, like I wrote that article for this little magazine and just, and it went viral. And, um, it, at least for uh, by those that time, you know, it got like republished in different places and stuff. And, um, and I remember being like really worried that like the world was going to sort of judge me for it. And, um, and then a publisher asked me to, to write that, to write a book about it. And um, at first I was like, no, no, no. I was like 26 and I didn't want to um, be a guru at all. I was like, I'm still figuring this out. But um, yeah, I eventually I thought, well, maybe I should go back to them and say, maybe I could just sort of tell my story, like write a memoir. And so I did that and it was, it was so scary, I think, to when I finished the book, even though I felt um, like I'd done a decent job, I was like, I was so scared about just how that, how it would be received. And um, so I, I eventually, I remember I said, I wouldn't, I, I told the publisher, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to give you guys back the money. And, uh, and so um, I was going to do that. And then it was, uh, you know, I sort of met, met, reflected on it for a while and, and, and time passed and I decided to come out with it, but I really battled that feeling of like a fear. And when I did finally go on, on book tour and I like, you know, really opened up, it's like, Hey, this is my story. This is me. Um, it was really freeing, you know, it was really freeing to like, I guess, just be seen, not, um, and, um, and realize that I wasn't alone. There were so many people that related and were like, oh, I have a, I have a similar story, maybe from a different perspective or different culture. Maybe it's not Buddhism, maybe it's, you know, this or that. Um, but that was like, so, um, so liberating because I realized I always felt like I was sort of alone and an outsider and I realized that I just wasn't um <clears throat> I wasn't connecting with you know that other people who uh, in a way that was open you know and 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 also like a book allows you to go and like share your story and meet lots of other people like a podcast but I, I think it 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 taught me a good lesson which one that I'm still learning, which is like to not, to just try to try to be yourself, you know? And, um, and I think, cause like there's bound to be, there are lots of other people out there who feel exactly the same way you do. In, in uh, all the waves or water, you go to Puerto Escondido for a period of um, months and you, you, on the same topic of authenticity, you hang out with a, a smoothie owner who's very egocentric. Uh, he might be one of the best surfers around, but you you talk about how when he doesn't make a wave, he's angry. And we all know the guy out in the water who, for for no good reason, he's upset about some move he didn't complete. 
then you contrast that with the guy, the tattooed man who is out the back, dropping in early on the perfect single fin, getting just shacked, coming out every time. And how, um, what really resonated with me is kind of how I, I and a lot of people I'm sure have been in both of those um, mindsets in the ocean and how um, you definitely in, looking outside in want to be like the, the, the guru surfer who's out the back and not really caring about what other people think of his move or anything like that. Um, with again, back to the social media and today's times, uh, how can we be in the water as surfers in a state of um, uh, of bliss? Like if we find ourselves going down the path of, oh, I'm, I'm angry I didn't complete that or such. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, I think it's not about, um, style of surfing like I think you can be a, a like a, a, a long border and be walking to the nose and looking graceful but if you're like you can be probably freaking out inside or you could be like you know doing busting big alley-oops and and be totally blissed out um I think it's it's what you bring to it and again it's like I think that um you know, how we, this idea, all our waves are water, by the way, came out of this notion that, you know, um, everything is connected, like no wave exists separate from the ocean, right? And, and, and you and humans are similar in that we, we feel like we're very like, separate from nature or separate from each other. But actually, even on like a sort of physics level like that's not true right like atoms molecules coming and going all the time so what makes us we are totally interdependent you know there is like a uh, a a flow of energy that is like that includes us and the more that we can drop into that i think the more we're like flexible we are a little bit with um uh, our egos you know because ego is essentially an illusion and how much you sort of attach to that illusion and are like i've got to be the best you know i've got to i have to um show everybody i need this kind of feedback for my um to feel okay it's like that you're you're a little bit like locking yourself out from the from the natural flow of reality and so i think people who are less um naturally less egocentric maybe have like a, a sort of already a feeling for this like and they're um and they uh, tend to be i think happier people <laughs> you know we all and and we've all been that person too who's like i mean i want love i want everybody to clap for me <laughs> i wish i could was like bust in the big air um but uh but i think again it, it's about like aware like if we watch ourselves if we're able to like take a step back from our own narrative and be like oh this is kind of silly because like the, i'm out here surfing i'm not at work <laughs> and i'm getting super angry that like whatever i didn't get as many waves as i want or i didn't my cutback isn't good or whatever and kind of laugh at ourselves i think that's the road to bliss is like but it takes that brief moment of mindfulness where you're like oh look 
let me observe myself. Let me take a breath and let me let the, this wave pass. And sometimes you can't like wiggle out of the emotion right away because you're like, emotions are sticky, right? And they don't just pass the instant you notice them. But you can sort of not let them control you. So like when things get heated in the water or whatever, you have an interaction with some guy who's mad or um, or you're not getting the waves you want. I think it's like just that moment of awareness where you can separate from your own narrative and be like, ah, I'm not going to let this like guide my actions right now. I'm just going to realize that I'm stuck in a wave, you know, <laughs> like a, like I, I use that, my kids books, you know, it's like when you get held, when you're getting held down by the wave, it's like, you got to relax, let it pass. And that's similar with emotions, you know? So I think, um, yeah, I think we're that, I feel the same way. Like I've been that smoothie guy who was sort of like, um, where I feel like I'm ripping and like, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder <laughs> and want to like, you know, sort of dismiss the the guys that are learning or or be, um, <clears throat> but I think I've also been you know closer to the the guy who's who's just like happy um, and grateful for the rides I'm getting and just like you know that's that's what I think it's about is like whenever you can take a step back and be like look where I am I'm I'm in the ocean you know look at little I, I use little tricks like where I just try to appreciate like the movements of water like um you know the light on water like looking at the cliffs or whatever like little things you have to sort of pop you out of the because we're like we're, we're very tribal and we're and we get caught in these sort of animal instincts where we start wanting to be like the alpha on the peak and like i think those things those old tribal instincts where it's like we need recognition and we need to like set a pecking order and stuff i think those keep us from like the more expansive mindsets that that states that surfing can can bring you mentioned light on water and that is what i chase in my own life i'd like for you to kind of uh, talk a little, little bit about light on water in your um, eloquent way you do. And and is that what it is that is so beautiful when we en enjoy water? And and how can we um, um, find that uh, anywhere, I suppose, maybe even in a glass of water? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, um, I think photography is a great way to access. Um, I know you take a lot of beautiful photos and um, I remember when I was studying photography, it's like you just become more aware of light and it shifts your perspective, much like I think a painter or something where you're just suddenly appreciating um, the subtle nuances of, of nature. And um, I think there's a lot there to unpack. I mean, just on a scientific level, I know that... Um, one of the reasons that nature is so relaxing to us is because those those structures that nature brings, like the way the ripples are on, on the ocean or or the way a, a river moves or the way the trees are like, it's infinitely complex. Like you don't really mimic that in urban architecture. And like we live in these houses that are all hard corners and kind of simple lines. And um, and 
those those nature uh, places they kind of access when you put people in an fMRI they 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 turn on different parts of the brain that we don't um, that are outside of uh, sort of our prefrontal cortex planning. And so it's it's literally like we're getting kind of a brain massage, you know, and uh, and I think there's a lot there and um, for uh, whether you're in any kind of nature, but I think the light on, you know, water is is where we come from. It's life itself as we know it, you know, um, and uh, it is um, just when we're out there in the waves, we're getting like this such a unique, special cocktail of things because we're getting like this adrenaline that brings us into like these kind of a flow state. We're getting the exercise that, you know, brings dopamine and health. And then we're also getting like these, um, this kind of like spectacular show for our, 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 um, our minds where we, if we can appreciate it, I think it, um, it is, it's something really special. And, and it's interesting, Sean, cause like, I feel like we all start to take it for granted. You live like right on Wrightsville beach and, and like, you know, you just start to take all those things for granted and you stop forgetting to like, take that step back and appreciate and, I think it all comes down to appreciation. And I think it's like light on water can be that access point where it's like, it's just so, it's just so cool to, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of like photography and painting and, and the arts, because I think they do like open up your seeing so that you come to, it's not just a, a skateboard ramp, you know, where you're like, oh, what can I do on it? You know, that's fun too. Like I love skating and I love um, seeing what I can do on a wave, but um, it's like, there's also this kind of, you know, saltwater poetry going on constantly around you and, and, and being able to appreciate that I think is um, sometimes, you know, it's like, I've moved away from, from the ocean and I, I, I actually think it's a blessing for a period because you you do um, it just the way our minds work we 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 take things for granted and sometimes we need to like break it up to be like oh yeah that is really special. You're currently uh, your home base right now is Washington D.C. Do I have that correct? Yeah, just outside. Yeah. Yep, and I can on the same note I can totally relate. I'm a D.C. native. I moved here to to Wilmington Wrightsville Beach uh, in 1999. And that was a um, being in D.C., there's a lot of positive things. You're in the center of power. The amount of different people from all over the world are there. But there is no ocean. You have the Potomac. And the um, I take that time period in, when I maybe am feeling uh, a little, I guess, um, not stoked here. Maybe the waves aren't always great or, or whatever. I just think back to my my younger self and I'm like, dude, you used to meditate on Rock Creek Park, like dreaming of the ocean. So it's like there, you got to kind of, you know, oscillate between these, um, these, these thoughts stuff to find joy, like you're saying. Um, I want to ask you about these three different waves that you've, uh, that you've spent a lot of time enjoying. And um, they're, they're Mavericks, Puerto Escondido, and um, uh, Indonesia. 
Um, I, I don't know what break it was, but you spent a lot of time in Indonesia. Uh, can you contrast these three spots and um, which one kind of has the most uh, residency in your soul as to you look back and you're like, that taught me the most about life and why? Yeah, um, well, um, I mean, they're they're all like glorious places to go um, surf and just, uh, I, I will say like, as I'm, I'm truly not a maverick surfer, <laughs> like I, I went, when I was writing the fear project, I thought, you know, this is down the street from my house, a bunch of my neighbors surf it. I'm terrified of it, but I'm getting, I'm surfing with them out at ocean beach. And it seems like, you know, kind of point down the wave and go like, <laughs> you know, maybe I can do it. And, and, uh, and I served out there a handful of times. Um, but the guys who are out there all the time, like, you know, sitting deep on the bowl and like the, you know, I'm, I was, uh, that was not my experience of Mavericks, but I got some waves and, um, that is just a, um, it, it's such a intense place that it's not like for me, I realized, especially because the crowd also is, is it's like, um, the waves are so intense and it draws you to sit deeper on this, like just to try to get the wave or it's not really where I wanted to be that, um, you know, the experience out there was just so, so much that I feel like it was a good experience for me, but it's not one that I, I wanted to go back to. Whereas like, um, I, I, <laughs> um, as, uh, Indonesia, you know, I spent most, most of my time in Bali, um, mostly because when I was going there, I would sort of get my trip to Bali and I didn't have a lot of extra money to go and like explore the outer islands and stuff and do boat trips and whatnot. So I'd kind of camp out in front of like Padang and Impossibles. We had this sweet little spot where you could, you know, a few bucks a night, like get your hammock. And um, so that little zone of like Padang and Impossibles, um, I stayed probably for I don't know months and months and I just I like the people the other surf travelers and um impossibles is this wave where you know it's usually sections off where you can't really ride it all the way through but when it works it goes for like god I don't know 500 meters or something and there can be multiple barrels in there and um it's just, and you're racing the whole way and, um, you know, over blue and, and coral. And I, I mean, that, that I have so many good memories of that place, just friends and, and getting your, you know, your Nasi Champur between and like, you know, a little, little papaya juice like that. Um, I love that, uh, spot. And I would, I know it's been built up a lot now. I haven't been back in a, a decade plus, um, but, uh, I, I, uh, I love Indonesia and hope to, hope to go there with my family now that I'm trying to get my kids to <laughs> get their, their serve chops so we can do some trips. Um, Puerto, um, you know, I, I never really got it and I think I wasn't ready for it what, to be like macking, like, you know, triple overhead Puerto. It looks scary when it's like that 
um, I, I surfed it, you know, head high, double overhead, and it was he really a heavy wave. And a lot of, um, I think, uh, I think that um, I'd like to go back there and like get it, you know, try it, try it now when it's like good. I, I, I haven't, I haven't really felt like I've, I've seen it do its thing. So um, there were, there were a handful of days where it was good and, and people were killing it. And I was getting just like not getting my timing right <laughs> going over the falls and getting work. So I, I'd like to go back and give Puerto more time. And now how does um, coming out of each of these experiences bring you a, a added self of uh, self-confidence when you're on land doing hard things and can other surfers access it, or is that just a side effect of surfing is just feeling like a more confident person, um, I guess, in the, in the real world? I think it's a, definitely a real thing. I did a lot of the, when I wrote the fear project, a lot of that's more like the scientific side. Um, I sort of put my journalist hat on, did all this neuroscience and research. And yeah, I mean, the more confidence you have in one arena, the more confidence it, it does track to other areas and and you can really use it i mean our brains are plastic and so you know when you're in a tough moment it's like i can go back to that feeling of riding that first mavericks wave and just being like what you know like how did that happen like it's just so i've been watching this wave for years on videos and thinking could i ever do that and then finally doing it i do think you know there's a very sort of worldly benefit there of like you know, I can do hard things. I can, um, I check that box and I can bookmark it and, uh, and get back to that place of confidence. Um, sorry, the this bell's ringing on my computer and I shut it off. But, uh, you know, I think that's a, a, a real thing with any sport. It's like, there's a reason, you know, you see a lot of like athletes go into Hollywood or, politics afterward and feeling like hey i can do this too even though it's like a lifelong most people it's like you have to train for a long time i think athletes gain this kind of visceral confidence it's very survival oriented because we're like you know when you feel strong and you feel like you can brave the elements um it gives you this sense of security like i can sort of make it through anything and i think that's really valuable um uh sort of perk of 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 just being of any sport really where you have to work hard um but surfing uh you know kind of like climbing a mountain or something there's like the fact of like conquering this um this uh wild aspect of nature that a lot of other people you know can't is 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 cool and um and, and I think really valuable. And I think there's not, and it's like, yeah, you can say, oh, well, isn't that just like ego, like being like, you sort of like, oh, I can do that. But it's, <clears throat> I think people miss, um, interpret sort of in uh, the idea sometimes of Buddhism, where it's like, you should be have have it doesn't mean you should have no confidence and not be sort of proud of things that you've done or um it's more like 
when you do do those things, recognizing that you didn't do them alone, like there's a whole, the whole universe is sort of conspiring to get you on that wave. You know, you didn't, you didn't, uh, you aren't one person just like separate from your parents and from all the things you learned in school and from your teacher. When you like ride that wave, it's a, it's a culmination of all this, you know, love that's been, um, um, and 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 these skills that have been passed on to you so sort of like understanding like this is this isn't just me um, but it's also is you know something that I accomplished um, and I think you can hold those two together in a sort of way to 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 live in the world and be proud and be confident but not like attached to it so much that you become um, sort of rigid you know what I mean absolutely uh, you've you've gone from these these awesome books for adults and you've transferred more to children's books in the in the past couple of years uh, how did that evolution take place did it have to do with becoming a father and, and um tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah um yeah you know i think it had a hundred percent to do with becoming a dad and just reading all these children's books i I didn't think of it that way when I started doing it. I think i I needed a i think I was becoming a little bit like I'd written three books about surfing and reflect and use you know the mind and psychology and Buddhism. and I think I just needed a break from it like I was a little tired of hearing myself talk about it and um and I, I started working on a kid's book when my um, wife was pregnant with our first son, just for him. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write this book about this little sea turtle named Kai. And I was just like blissed out doing it. I'm like, oh, this is so fun. And I'm uh, so I, I self-published that one. And I was like, I want to do more of that, you know. So, um, so then uh, I started getting into this. Uh, graphic novel series, um, which originally wasn't going to be a graphic novel. I was just writing like a middle grade series because I, I think like having kids, it started waking me up to a lot of the things that I used to love as a kid, like that feeling of adventure and like mystery, like the Goonies or like, you know, the never ending story, like those exciting, like fantasy movies and novels. And I was like, I want to, I wanted to try something new away from surfing too. Um, so that was where the dragon story came from. And um, yeah, and for me, I think, you know, it's interesting, like, I feel like uh, surfing has in many times in my life just taken over where I'm like, all I want to do is surf. I'm like, if I could just do this, I'd be happy. And I think sometimes to some extent, the books I wrote were like, yeah, I wanted to write them, but I also wanted to like, have a job that let me just surf for a living you know like I could sort of pretend you know like this is my job just because I love surfing so much and and then you know it's like I live here you know across the street from Ocean Beach for you know 20 years or whatever and I think um, there were times when it was like it felt like I, I wasn't motivated to go paddle out or I needed a break from it and I think um, I've realized even, I haven't even done this consciously, but I've realized there've been times where I sort of moved away from it. And um, 
and then come back with a new perspective. Um, and I think uh, to some extent, like doing my dragon books has been that way, where I was just like, I wanted to write about something else. And, uh, and then doing that for a few years, like now I've already, I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, well, I kind of want to get back to like a surf movie or a surf, you know? So I think um, it keeps it, it's like anything, you know, you want to keep, keep it fresh and kind of find that way into beginner's mind and be appreciative for how, how, how cool it is. The Adventures of Drip and Drop. How did you come about uh, that book and um, tell us a little bit about it? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that one's coming this summer and um, it's all about the water cycle. So there's these two, two, uh, that one, actually, we were living up in, in, um, in Canada at the time, um, during the pandemic, we, we got a cool opportunity to go live in Whistler. So we did like mountain lifestyle and we're, we're skiing and snowboarding a bunch. And I think, um, yeah, I think cause it, like water experiencing water in a whole other way, right. It's like you're skating on the lakes and watching the snow come down and the rivers. And I, I think I was for whatever reason, that idea came to me of uh these two characters who are like go don't know they're they're clouds in the beginning <laughs> and they're like gonna uh, go through the cycle and it's sort of like a comedy um uh, but it's about like there's one of them is scared of change and he doesn't want to change into like rain and then they fall into the ocean and he doesn't want and but it's about like embracing change um and and eventually you know he the the one who's scared like is like realizes it's really fun to go through these different phases but um yeah i think that um yeah a lot of my books with mop and with drip and drop i think have been around fear um and and learning to work with it probably because i've had lots of anxieties and fears um and i think it's one of the main things that holds us back from being happy and being living the lives that we want to because we're so often like get paralyzed you know by this feeling of like uh and um so i think kids too you know if we learn to work with that early um what i learned in the fear project was really like instead the, the summary after all the science and stuff was like don't be afraid of fear because fear is natural and fear is energy so like fear is actually giving you a boost. And this has helped me a ton with surfing as I used to, I think, feel when I felt afraid, I was like, oh no, it's going to be bad because I'm going to freeze up or I'm going to, and instead turning and being like, no, biologically, this fear is actually giving me more energy to like paddle and, um, and so channeling that, I mean, obviously with training, you want to do it safely and stuff like you don't want to just throw yourself in, over your head. But but um, but if you do it in the right way, it's like fear is energy that can be channeled. And I, I kind of want to teach my kids that early. And I think it's why I, I, I like would drip and drop and mop and stuff. I thought, because um, I think if you can learn that to be like recognize when you have butterflies and be like, embrace it rather than be like oh no and spiral it it um it's infinitely helpful in sports and life you know 
And I, I hear so many writers talk about the fear of writing when they sit down to a blank page. Does, does that still happen to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, writing is just hard. You know, it's one of those things that uh, I think um, sometimes it's a joy and you're in the flow. But a lot of times it's like it's kind of like when you you just know when you're seeing the blank page or you're starting how much there is to go. It's like when you come home and your house is a wreck and you're like, how am I going to start this? Like, what if I just don't start? <laughs> and uh, I think that kind of happens with writer's block too, where you're just like committing to, to starting. So my trick with that is like, I'll go in my journal, I'll go somewhere beautiful with a, with a like nice cup of coffee and just scribble, you know, and like let sometimes just free associate, you know, like, beatnik style kind of go and see what comes because i think some it's like movement another trick with fear is like you know i mean meditation is one kind of stillness but like that can sometimes help but usually like movement helps with 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 fear so oftentimes like if you're afraid to paddle out and you're just sitting on shore watching it if you're once you're paddling you're actually going to start to feel better, you know? And then once you're, so like, same with writing, like once you're kind of writing, even if you're not finishing your, the assignment you think, just the movement starts to loosen things up. What advice do you have for young aspiring writers, maybe high school, college age uh, students who are are writing on a daily basis? What, what kind of words of wisdom do you have for them? You know, um, of course, like keep reading a lot, you know, it's like um, just getting language into your into your brain is and, and read like great writers. Um, I think uh, for inspiration, I mean, um, and then just like, uh, I think it helps to uh, to get, you know, try some um, journalism is a great route. Uh, because you can get some things published. And one thing that happens to a lot of writers is like they try to write their great novel, you know, first and they don't have any foundation for, so they like maybe, you, it's easy to get lost in a long, big project. And um, I think it can be helpful just to take some baby steps, you know, whatever, try to get some things, uh, a, a little story published in the school newspaper and then kind of work your way up because it just like you don't, you know, maybe you want to start with a long board. Like if you try to go, you know, get a little chippy board and go paddle out when it's double overhead right away, it's like you might get overwhelmed. And so um, I think seeing your, your, an article that you've written, you know, in print can be really a nice confidence booster. And also when you're going to apply for, um for colleges or grad school or whether you want to do like art like mfa or 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 journalism masters or a screenplay writing just having some things that you've written um is really good but but yeah re, you know read a lot and write every day like i think it's i think journaling is is really great way to to keep keep the practice up too like you know i think also that do it if you love it because writing is a challenge it's a challenging way to make a living i mean there's so so many people want to write books and it's like you know i've been like fairly successful and i'm you know 
not rich from it. <laughs> like, it's not a good way to make money. So only do it because like you love it and it brings you joy. And because um, otherwise you might as well just do something more practical, you know, that's like, um, but if you have the bug and you're like, I love this, man, I have a story to tell, like follow it. And it's, it's, it's great. Um, it's, it's such a, a wonderful tool. And, um, and the cool thing is if you, you know, developing your writing helps you with any kind of job, like, you know, so most jobs you have to be able to communicate clearly. So, yeah. You've been around a while. You've seen how the world has changed over, over, um, years and years now we're moving into a new world of technology. We have, um, AI coming down, down the pike, uh, chat bots, you're a writer, how what's your philosophy on ai chatbots um do you do you use them at all to he help or are you totally like against them hardcore how how do we as um sentient humans move into this new world it's a great question i mean i'm a little bit agnostic on it because i feel like i just I see a lot of possible benefits and I also see the dangers and it's, it's like, it feels like we're moving in. It feels like something as massive, if not more as like, uh, you know, the internet um, where we're just, our lives are about to be changed in ways we can't even foresee. And it's um, as a writer, it does, um, parts of it bummed me out, you know, where I see, I think it writing was already being sort of devalued with the internet where like, you know, there's just so much content that I think people don't re realize what's good and what's not. And it's only a people of a certain like literary education who can really discern like, is this quality or is this not? And so the, the, um, I think that's bound to happen even more, unfortunately, with AI. But I, I, I don't use it to write stuff. I have my kids are into it, and they have lots of fun, like making rap battles and stuff. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it's an amazing technology, and I hope that we can use it to solve our big problems. You know, it's like if we could harness AI to help us with climate change and, um, you know. Uh, political fighting and you know it's like we could sort of um use that big data to to power positivity i think it, it you know it's similar to anything i think that's powerful it's like if if you if the people behind it and who are wielding it are super greedy <laughs> it's like you can want to use it for to for more sort of separation and and more ways to sort of um take away jobs you know um then it'll be a bummer but i have heard a lot of ai people talk about yeah you know it is going to take away jobs but it's going to form a lot of new ones and um it's unforeseen you know i i don't want to be one of those pessimists who's like it's gonna you know destroy us because i just feel like we don't know and I think the more that we can reflect on, like, personally, how can, um, you know, we improve ourselves to be in our in our own hearts, to be good people, hopefully that, you know, spreads and, and the people who are in charge are going to 
to also be that way. I mean, I think humans fundamentally want to be good and they want to do good. And um, they, uh, so hopefully, um, hopefully we, there's a unbalanced, there's a little more good than bad that comes from it. What's the meaning of life according to Jamal Yogis? I've, I've always um, liked Alan Watts answer to this question. Uh, um, I'm going to steal it from him, which is the meaning of life is to be alive. And it, it feels like a little bit of a, of, of a cheat answer, you know, but I think he's right in that we're, you know, to really drop into our lives and really, and what that means for me is like really appreciating life. You know, I think we're here to learn. Um, I think life is, is kind of a school and, um, and we're here to learn and especially to learn how to be, how to treat each other well. And I, and I think when we, um, when we're really appreciative of the things around us and like drop in, it's like, we have a better, um, we have a bigger hearts to treat each other well. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> well, Jamal, I know that you took me to school today. I'm sure you, you're going to be taking a lot of people to school when they hear this interview. And I am super stoked because on September 30th, you're coming here to Wrightsville Beach and you're going to be speaking at the, um, flying machine uh, brewery down in, in Wrightsville Beach next to Surf City Surf Shop. And we are we are uh, ecstatic you're coming to town. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pumped. I've actually never been to, to Wrightsville Beach. And um, I really, being on the East Coast now, I've, I've fallen in love with a lot of different uh, spots uh, up and down the coast. And everybody keeps telling me to come come to Wilmington. So, um, so yeah, I'm fired up and hope, hope to see, see some, uh, make some new friends and, and see some friends who, who have been trying to get me to come out there. And yeah. So thanks for having me on Sean. Absolutely. Jamal. And will you be speaking at this event? Um, I think Travis, uh, from Waterloop is going to show the saltwater Buddha movie. And then we were just going to kind of have like a, uh, talk story um, kind of afterward. So uh, so yeah, um, Saltwater Buddha is a documentary that um, based on my first book that uh, we had a lot of fun making, you know, it's um, and uh, so so yeah, come out and see the movie and just be I'll have have books if people want to get books or or just um and I'll, I'll i'll probably say a few words maybe we can do a little meditation or something but um yeah it'll be just be a nice night i think awesome awesome well we can't wait to have you and i hope we have waves for you also so we can uh show you how beautiful our, our beach is and even if there's no waves the beach is still incredibly blue all the time and i'm sure you're going to be super stoked yeah, and I'll be happy to be there no matter what. And uh, but uh, but yeah, let's let's grab a surf if we can. Epic, Jamal. Well, thank you so much again for your time and joining us. And this has been episode eighteen of Speaking from Water, Jamal. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'll catch you in a few weeks.
or excuse All me, right, sounds good. Like a week and a half. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sean. All right, talk soon. Have a great trip home. All right, you too.